Hello and welcome back to the Polaris Travel Health Podcast. Thanks for tuning in with us this week. We're going to talk about leptospirosis today. Yeah. So being honest, I'd actually never heard of leptospirosis until very recently, actually until you mentioned it to me, but it's actually the most common zoonotic disease. But what exactly is it? So first of all, you want to talk about what a zoonotic disease is? Yes. So (laughs) (laughs) was that a word you knew before, Jaden, or no? Yes. Well, I did know that, you know, animals are like good vectors and reservoirs for disease, but I didn't know like what this specific one was. Yes. Okay. So yeah, it basically is a disease that jumps from animals to humans. And we know that this leptospirosis is caused by leptospirobacteria, which is actually a spirochete, which is a strange little spiral. If you look at it on a microscope, it's a spiral shaped uh, bacteria. And um, it can come from a whole bunch of different kinds of animals when it comes right down to it. And then it acts sort of as a reservoir for the disease. I can't believe we've made it to nine podcast episodes without me, you know, showing my age to a degree. And, <laughs> and uh, well, I maybe showed my age in other ways, but by making a Simpsons reference. So I don't know if anyone out there has ever remember the classical episode of, of the, the Simpsons, where uh, I believe Lisa's teacher had a bad breakup and then she ended up saying that she was um she she didn't have leptospirosis but she had some other illness that uh it was it was caused by a, a spirochete the spiral shaped bacteria and so anyway i remember when she came back from uh from her um absence ralph drew her a picture of i, I hope you feel better here's a drawing of a spirochete anyway. <laughs> So whenever I hear spirochete, I instantly think of uh, of Ralph from The Simpsons. Well, I can't say that I've ever actually seen that episode. It was way before you were born, Jaden. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that that show's been on for a very long time. Yeah, a very long time. So being that this is kind of like, as I mentioned, the most common zoonotic infection, how common is it worldwide and kind of like where we live in North America? You know, I think in the numbers that uh, you prepped up here, you talked about a million cases a year with 59,000 deaths. That probably sounds about right. You typically see it in tropical places. Right. Like you're thinking like Latin America, South Asia, Southeast Asia, Caribbean places. Like it's more a tropical warm weather kind of thing. If you think about North America, like there have been cases well, I guess, I don't know, you really, I guess you technically define Hawaii as North America. There have been cases in Hawaii. There have been cases in Puerto Rico. And we've definitely seen cases in Central America, um, which would be, you know, I guess probably geographically one of the closer places and places we see people traveling to. Animals in Canada can get it, but I think human cases are pretty rare overall. Right, right. So how do you actually catch it from one of these animals? It's usually via contaminated soil or fresh water. Kind of like kind of like tetanus in the way that you would get it from a, a cut or something like that. But I think realistically speaking, the most likely way that you're going to acquire this is doing water activities, kayaking, rafting, anything where it involves freshwater exposure. So that would be the place. Like I'll put it to you this way. In practice, 
I have um, definitely seen people where we've talked about leptospirosis, when people have actually come in for a travel consult with specific questions about it, because I can remember these guys, they were doing a whitewater rafting trip in Costa Rica. And yeah, so they had already done a little bit of looking into it. And that was actually one of the main reasons that they, they came in is because they were worried about leptospirosis. Right. So this isn't the type of disease that can kind of get past directly from person to person. It's more you're in contact with like a contaminated sort of thing. Yes, correct. Okay. So what are the symptoms of leptospirosis? Like a lot of people feel minimal symptoms and in sort of the acute phase, you can feel fever and chills and joint pains and gut stuff like just you know those kind of things where you feel lousy with a fever and i know the one thing that can sometimes come up is a rash and i think it's usually more on on the legs but and then really at, at that point like you know that is probably the most common sort of phase that we're going to see but if it can turn into a, a more serious variation like sort of uh where you can you know, you can develop light sensitivity and headaches and even psychological symptoms. So that's what you're looking at. And early on, in the earlier stages, it can be mistaken for, for other things, uh, you know, other fever-related type things like, you know, malaria, for example, or typhoid, dengue. And, you know, when if you do get to the point where, like, you are in the unfortunate 10% of people that have uh, leptospirosis, you know, you're start start talking about you know liver and kidney organ failure, and uh, if you get to that point, you know that's where the fatalities come in. So right, right. So how, when you do get into some of the more serious stages, unfortunately, how is leptospirosis treated? So antibiotics work for leptospirosis, and right. you know earlier than later, just like any other antibiotic is, is better. The one that I think is most often given is doxycycline. You know, usually, you know, doxycycline is an oral product. So it's it's just a matter of taking a treatment course of the antibiotics. And usually I I think a week to 10 days of of treatment is is usually sufficient. Right. Is there any sort of like bacterial resistance to any of the antibiotics at this point for leptospirosis? Not off the top of my head. I don't think so. I, I don't, I'm not sure if we've ever really run into it. Doxycycline has been the treatment of choice for treat well for treatment, but also for prevention. Because I think one thing I should probably mention here is that we do have the ability to prevent leptospirosis by actually taking doxycycline on a weekly basis. So really? that's yeah. So that's something that uh, we should probably at least go over. And and I remember our um, people that we talked about that were doing the whitewater rafting trip to Costa Rica. You know, I did prescribe doxycycline for them, and and the idea is that you take a dosage of a, usually two tablets uh, once a week, and you start a few days before you you go into the doing the high risk activity where you're going to be exposed to the water, and then you take it weekly while you're doing the, the activities. So it's not something we do very often, but certainly have done it before. Probably, I'm sure we'll do it again, but uh, that is a very um, viable option that you can do if the perception is there is a higher risk and we want to sort of do it, do things preventatively. But yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend ordinarily like someone doing a whitewater rafting trip in the, in the mountains or something to take this. But if you were going to one of these higher risk areas, it could be a thing. Right. 
So that kind of rolls into what I was going to ask you about next, which is how can you kind of protect yourself or prevent yourself from getting leptospirosis? Yeah, like really trying your best to avoid contaminated water sources is probably your best thing, but it's not always super obvious. You can't just look into the water and see spirochetes, right? Like that's not really how it works. (laughs) Uh, That would be good if you could, but uh, yeah. So I, I think when you're looking at that, we know that times when there is flooding and and natural disasters, there is a higher chance of of a body of water being contaminated in that way. Uh, and the other thing, I guess, too, which I would always mention is that this is a freshwater illness. You're not going to get this in the ocean, right? So that is that's one thing to think about from that point of view. And I guess this would be something which we really, you know, not really obvious to say is that. If you knew that a body of water was really being used as a toilet for a whole bunch of animals, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you would know that. Just to think that happens all the time, you try not to think about it too much. But, uh, but yeah, that would be another another thing. So, it's like I said, the really obvious things to do is avoid exposure, and like I said, especially in in the more flood if it's a post flood situation. Right. Yeah, it's unfortunate that wild animals don't have indoor plumbing. Um, is that kind of the main way that the disease is kind of transferred from them to us is through like their their pee basically getting into the water? Yeah, like that's that's basically what it really amounts to. Yes. Right. Okay. So kind of on that, there is a vaccine, correct? But it's just for animals. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't know really that much about the veterinary, the dog vaccine, but there is a, there is one available and right. uh, it, yeah, it's not as far as I understand, I I'm not a dog owner actually, Jaden, you probably could know more about this than me. I don't right. think it's a vaccine that is routinely given like as part of like all of the, the quote unquote routine dog vaccine schedule. I don't think it's one of the sort of the standard ones, but I think, no. I think it's one that if there is a, a higher risk, you know, it is an optional vaccine that can be given, you know, and I think the other thing is, you know, if, if there was a concern that a dog had leptospirosis, like I think they can be prescribed antibiotics, but uh, that's a completely different topic. There's a, you know, there's another uh, a topic. How about a veterinary vaccine podcast? That's uh that, that's not uh, something I think I'll take on, but uh, yeah, it's an interesting little niche. Yeah, well, it is. And it's something that I kind of was concerned about when I was researching this because it is kind of more common to catch it from a dog, right? Right. Like they're a pretty common vector. But what, from what I understand, it's not a required vaccine. So a lot of dogs aren't protected against it, but it's more younger dogs and dogs that have a lot of contact with freshwater sources. So say if you had a farm or if you lived in more of a rural area where you were letting your dog say swim in a pond all the time or like any sort of body of water that's not moving frequently, that seems to be where the most risk is for your dog to get it. But I think it's something that you definitely could talk to your vet about or they would bring to your attention if they thought that your dog was at a higher risk for it. Yeah, no, that's uh, interesting stuff. I, I, like I said, my knowledge of uh, uh, animal vaccines is pretty limited. So that's actually kind of cool, but um, good to know. Right. Yeah. Cause you guys, you guys don't have dog 
we don't, we don't have a dog we don't have a pet at home and and yeah we were the the clinic is uh, limited to to humans so yes humans only okay so how often do you talk to people about leptospirosis like you're concerned that someone's going to an area where they might be at risk is it mainly just people who are going for relief work or do you like talk to a lot of people about it for say like adventure or travel or something like that i typically don't see it lots and lots in practice every now and then and it's mostly adventure travelers that are going on you know those like i said whitewater rafting kayaking trips um, anything in more tropical places where it's going to be a lot of freshwater exposure so those would be the times that i see that which you know those appointments come up from time to time but it's not something that certainly we would see every day as far as relief workers it does come up um we typically spend time talking about contaminated water in general and things like even with cholera and everything like that. So it's a topic uh, in those circumstances, but generally speaking, most relief workers are probably not spending tons of time standing around in contaminated water. They're usually doing things on the land to, you know, construct or feed people and all that, that sort of thing. So in the acute phases of a disaster, I'd say that it's probably not as much of a concern. I'm more concerned about them drinking contaminated water than spending a lot of time in it. But it would potentially be a thing for sure. But but yeah, uh, mostly the adventure travelers. Right, right. Okay. Well, is there anything else that you kind of wanted to mention about leptospirosis? Anything, little fun facts or anything like that? <laughs> yeah, no, uh, not really. I think it's uh, it's something that is sort of a niche thing. Like it's not, again, not something you're going to talk about every day, but but it is uh, something to know. And, and uh, yeah, there's there are certainly concerns about going into fresh water. Um, I think in, in general, when you start talking about water activities, when you go into the ocean, there are jellyfish, there are tides and currents, and there are sharks and things that can eat you. Uh, so there's things that can bite you, things that can eat you, things like that. But from a disease standpoint, unless you're really in like contaminated waters, like it's more, it's not as much a, a bacterial viral type risk. But then when you start thinking about fresh water, that's actually where you're more likely to in, encounter various types of bacteria in the water, like things like leptospirosis and, uh, you know, schistosomiasis is another uh, topic that maybe could be another future podcast episode. But that's another example of an illness, which is very common and it's a freshwater thing. So, so I think one conception or misconception that we run into from time to time is that, yeah, it's fresh water. You know, in Canada, we wouldn't usually think twice about going into a lake here locally about well, how many things are going to get me. But in some other countries, it is more of a concern. So it's just something that needs to be contemplated. Right, right. Yeah. Normally, my biggest concern about getting into a body of fresh water is that there's going to be a weird little plant that touches my foot. Yeah. (laughs) Or around here, how warm is the water? Because let's face it, it's (laughs) usually not that warm. So true. And it it really doesn't get any warmer in the summer than it is in the in the like fall or winter. Agree. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, 
Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to this week's edition of the Polaris Travel Health Podcast. A reminder that the information and advice provided in this podcast are not a substitute for live medical advice, nor is it veterinary advice tailored to your itinerary and medical history. If you have questions or want to book an appointment, please head over to our website, www.polaristravelclinic.ca. Also, check us out on Twitter at Polaris Travel Rx and our Facebook page as well. We hope you'll tune in again with us next week. And uh, thanks very much, Jaden. And I actually want to throw in one more thing here. Um, Jaden is off to school and uh, <laughs> um, she's been with us for the summer and she has been the driving force. I've been the idea part of the podcast, <laughs> but she's been the driving force of making this all happen. I've wanted to do a podcast for years, but actually bringing her in, she has really taken the reins of this and, uh, I want to thank you very much. And, you know, you've done a lot of good things around the clinic over the summertime and uh, best of luck in school in the fall. Uh, By the time we hear this episode, it's going to be in the can for a week or so, and you'll already be back in school. Um, I'm really, um, thanks. And I, the plan right now is we are going to be doing more episodes when school allows. Uh, So I don't want to make it sound like this is the last episode. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you're not getting rid of me just yet. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, I, I just want to say uh, uh, thanks again. Well, thank you. Now I can I can finally call myself a producer. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, guys. Bye.